Greetings, and welcome to another episode of RCAF Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Norris. Thanks for being here. This week, I have someone who I've been admiring from afar for a long time on. He's one of my favorite painters. The name is Anthony Garrett Hurd. Been following since I've been following him since about 2013 or 2014. Just really great stuff. Working with digital and mostly acrylic. Anthony also recently opened up a gallery in Albuquerque called A Hurd Gallery. A lot of the more recent artists I've had on were just in the last group show of his called What's in a Face, Manuel Zamudio, uh, Juan Santabria, Sarah Jameson, and even return guest Ali Graham were all in that wonderful show. So yeah, we talk a lot about business. In this one, we talk a lot about identity, which was a really fun conversation to get into. We talk about Anthony's story and how he came up and realized he wanted to be an artist. For some, it happens from a very young age. Others, it takes a while. So it's always interesting to hear how someone got into art and at what time period in their life. Anthony talks about holding down a day job while pursuing art. Seems to be a, a, a pretty consistent theme lately where artists will have some kind of day job, especially in the advertising industry. And that's really cool. It just shows to go you. There's not one direct path. There's not one way carved in stone for you to become successful at making art. So yeah, I think you all will enjoy this episode. Big thank you to Anthony. Thanks so much for agreeing to come on. And I believe I've got a shout out Juan Santabria again for hooking it up, for reaching out. And yeah, if you've ever been on this podcast and you think you know someone who would be good to talk to, I would love to hear hear about it, you know? And for all of you subscribing to Patreon, feel free to just drop me a line with those suggestions. I know we've done that a couple times on there, and I am getting around to communicating with all those artists. I am still ahead of schedule, which is nice. Um, but yeah, there's so many just legends out there just destroying it creating it doing everything in between technically skilled creatively minded doing new provocative things that it's hard to keep track of of everyone i have on my wish list even though it is an actual list but yes the support from my patreon subscribers truly does help me out tremendously and if you would like to subscribe the address is patreon.com slash rcaf podcast i'm making the artsiest podcast in the metaverse feel free to email your favorite episode to 10 of your friends who you think would like it text it you know what i'm saying just just talk about it make them pull it up on their phones you know strap them to a chair put headphones on their ears and just Make them listen to all 97 episodes. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think that's a pretty good strategy. I think we got this. If you want to see it expand, you want to see this podcast grow, kidnap your friends is what I'm trying to say. Just kidding. Anyway, this has been the longest intro in the history of time. Let's get right into this episode. Anthony Heard, y'all. 
Anthony, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Yeah. I really appreciate you um, uh, taking time to do this. I don't know. Sure. I don't know if I... Have you ever been on a podcast before? Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. I don't know if I've ever heard you on one, but... Um, I did, I've done, I don't know, maybe 10 of them. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> I don't remember Sweet. which ones they were. <laughs> like, I think I remember when I first did one, I was like really nervous. So I was, yeah. they sent me questions over in advance and I was like kind of trying to prep and shit. And after that, I was like, I'm never doing that again. Like yeah. whatever they want to ask me is fine. I'll just show up and it happens as it happens. Yeah. <laughs> All that prep work just makes you nervous. Yeah, Totally. Totally. That's how I like to do it too. I mean, I, I prepare questions for myself just so that if we run into one of those like, yeah, moments, I can be like, okay, so what about this? <laughs> you know, long, awkward pauses. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, sweet. So you're, you're old hat at this and, um, yeah, ready, ready for my questions. Okay. <laughs> no. Bring um, it on. So yeah, man, it, usually we start with, um, with people's stories. Um, and a prompt that I, that I've been starting with lately is when you were growing up, like artists, I feel like we get labeled as, as weird kids. Did you feel like you were labeled as a weird kid or that you were a weird kid growing up? Yeah. yeah. I was a weird kid. <laughs> just straight up, not even just because people thought you were. Yeah. It was just, I just wasn't like any other kid. I grew up, up in Missouri and mm. I just was not like other kids you know I I was already I was always interested in art uh and then in when I was 10 I started skateboarding that made me weirder and then the music I listened to made it more strange and then it was just like every interest that I added just made it double down on my weirdness yeah so <clears throat> it was I'm used to it at this point what? When do you remember kind of like taking on the the artists, I guess the artists like mantle or or identity uh you know badge that you that you use to describe yourself? It's kind of like not to describe myself, but I remember like in third grade, yeah, there would be little art competitions where it'd be a coloring contest or like, you know, a state fair or whatever. And you're just painting like a cow or something <laughs> in your, your weekly art class. Yeah. And I just, I was always winning those and it might not be the greatest motivation to become an artist, but for me, it was like some of those times you get out of school for a day, you get to go to like a pizza party and you get like an award or something and mm -hmm. some random thing. It's like, like I want a pizza party and get out of school for the day. So uh, I just, and it was one of those things like, this is what you're good at. You yeah, know? Yeah. And I think early on, you're always kind of trying to figure out like, what's your thing. Totally. Um, so it just seemed really early on that like that was my thing and so 
I, I, it's funny because I was in advertising for like 20 years oh, wow. and prior to going into art full time. And I look back and I relate a lot of my advertising like chops to my childhood because it was like some of those contests were just total bullshit. Like I remember in fifth grade, I uh, they wanted to do there was a competition like what is your view on America? And <laughs> I painted like. I, or I drew, it was like a color pencil drawing and it was like a church with like an overlaid flag and like a Bible and like a, it was like all this bullshit to me by fifth grade already, but yeah, it was yeah. like, that's what, that's what they want to see. So that's what I'm going to do. Wow. And I won. That's very <laughs> so, insightful as a, as a fifth grader. Yeah, it was like, it was obvious. You, that's what. Did you grow up going to church at all? Yeah. You know what tipped me off? Okay. So like when they would talk about God in church, right? <laughs> this is what I think what started to tip me off was the picture that came up when I would think of God, right? It was a man in a, like, you know, a preacher's like robe with like long sleeves. And yeah. then it, but it was like George Washington's face. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just had like this view Okay, my uncle, my great uncle was a preacher. So we were like okay. kind of forced to his church. And um, later on, I found out all kinds of like seedy shit that it went down with him and the church and all kinds of stuff. But at the time, what bothered me was they tell you to read the Bible. Yeah. So I would read the Bible and I would have this perspective based on my reading of the Bible. And then I'd go to church and then they would tell me theirs. And it is so different yeah. than what I thought from reading the Bible. And I just thought, why the fuck should I read this? Like, cause you're, you're just going to change everything, all my views to fit yours. Yeah. And uh, I just thought it's so weird to base a religion around a book that they don't really want you to read on your own. They right. want you to, adapt the uh the interpretation of your your pastor or preacher mm -hmm. uh, yeah. so yeah <laughs> yeah yeah uh yeah it's like i don't know we don't have to keep going down that that uh train of thought with <laughs> this isn't religious af this is rtaf so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so i i was i'm always curious as like when you're growing up, you're, you're really young, you're, you know, fifth grade, knowing what people want to see, making these, these things for our competitions. Were they just drawings or were you painting by that point? They were just, just drawings. Okay. Like my seventh grade, I was drawing album covers all the time and like selling them to kids in the hallway for like two bucks. Like nice. I made a lot of money off Guns N' Roses. <laughs> like Sick. Album covers. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Like, eh. um, but I'm always curious as to like, like what, did you have anyone like outside of, of your own, of your own self, I guess, who influenced you and encouraged you? At, at that young age? Um, there wasn't a lot of people that encouraged me, mm. but my grandparents, they, uh, they traveled a lot to where I live now, to the Southwest. In the winters, they would like get in their RV and they'd come back with like all the stereotypical shit. It was like 
you know, here's some turquoise and here's an arrowhead and all the stuff. But they told me a lot about art and and it wasn't art that I was interested in because there's like a famous kind of country Western artist named Peter Hurd Mm -hmm. um, that they always said we were related to. I have no idea if we're actually related at this point, but um, it was like a, it was a nice thought that like somewhere in our bloodline was like a famous artist and that it was possible. Um, And I think my grandmother on my dad's side was probably the only person that made me think like being an artist was possible because everybody else was like, yeah, everybody else was like, yeah, but what's your real job going to be? And, you know, uh, so I, I think more than anything, it was my grandmother. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So was that all through like your time with her as, as a youngster, like up and up until like when, like no other art teachers or anything like that along the way? Well, I had art teachers. I mean, my grandmother passed when I was 16 or 17 mm-hmm. and I had art teachers that were always super encouraging. And I had friends, I like had other artist friends and nice. things that I met along the way. And then in uh, ninth grade, I transferred from like the suburban jock school to uh, arts magnet school in Kansas city. Oh, right. And so when I got there, that's all I did was paint. Like I literally, didn't spend any time doing the academic classes. They would pretty much let me do whatever I wanted to do artistically. Um, I probably should not have passed high school (laughs) for uh, the academic reasons, Yeah, yeah. Uh, but they kind of pushed me through and I felt pretty lucky with that. Mm -hmm. Like, cause by the time I got to high school, uh, I had, the facilities that were much greater than most high schools. I had access to several art teachers that had careers and we had speakers come in from the art Institute. And so I had, I was introduced to a lot of things um, early on that a a lot of people probably were not. Yeah. And um, that played a big part in like really pushing me forward. Nice. I remember and the previous school I was doing stuff like they'd give you some crappy homework on like pointillism and here, like, here's a bunch of markers and, mm-hmm. you know, um, but then when I got to the arts magnet school, it was a lot more about kind of finding your own, um, space and your own styles and your own vision. And they introduced us to a lot more artists and gave us some more history that we didn't get in other schools. Oh, that's so rad. It's cool too that you you were able to kind of already be on top of it with like your own self awareness at such a young age to be like, yeah, no, I'm I'm an artist. Like for <laughs> for me, it was kind of it was kind of like, am I an artist? Should I play sports? Should I just party my life away? You know, like for the longest time. But like, yeah, I think that that's that's a big thing about about making art or creating anything is. It's just knowing yourself. It wasn't just art, though. I was, like, interested in everything. Like, mm-hmm. I made clothing all through high school and, like, sold them at the local skate shops. I, like, cut all my friends' hair. I nice. did I, I did painting and sculpture. And uh, it was just, like, anything. And I was in bands. I played bass in a couple bands. And it was just, like, just anything creative. And that allowed me that freedom. Like, I, I was on it. 
Nice. You seem to also have kind of like a a business sense from a young age too. Like you're selling albums. And kind of. Cutting yeah. Out. My dad owned his own businesses. He he wasn't around in my childhood, but like oh. I remember him. Like he was a, like a used car salesman for a while, mm-hmm. and then he sold like satellite receiver uh, dishes, and like it, it just it gave me the realization really early on that like I didn't have to work for another person. Like I was able to do shit for myself and um, not that my dad was ever real successful at any of the things he was doing, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but it just instilled in me like this confidence that like it was possible. Like if this guy can do it, I can do it. (laughs) So uh, yeah, it was pretty early on that I just decided like, I just do my own shit. Nice. start your own zines and make your own videos and yeah and so you were growing up in kansas city yeah so kind of kind of like a pretty big city um you had kind of like a culture around you that that you could draw from or like yeah yeah that's cool yeah i mean kansas city it's a decent size, but this is in the eighties. Mm-hmm. So there's no internet. <laughs> we were, yeah. it felt like we were so uh, disconnected from the rest of the world. Like if you wanted something, you really had to work for it because totally. uh, you know, you'd watch a skate video and you'd hear a band and you have no access to find that band anywhere locally. So yeah. you're like recording it off the television with your tape player next to it. And so half your soundtracks that you're skateboarding to literally have skateboarding sounds, sounds. in them because yeah. <laughs> you took them from the video. Uh, but there was a skate culture there. There was an art culture there. There was like uh, like a punk culture and a music culture. Lawrence, Kansas, about an hour away, had mm-hmm. this punk club out in the middle of nowhere um, called the outhouse that we played at and um, all kinds of crazy uh, bands came through there over the years. Uh, so there was like a, there was an underground scene that was accessible. Yeah. Uh, it was a really small scene. <laughs> like everybody knew each other and totally um, and all that, but it was, it was enough. Like, to where even though you knew you were different, you knew there were other people like you. Right, yeah. And then with the advent of the internet, it's like, you know, I don't know how into like Timothy Leary you are, but he has that quote that's like, find the others, find the others, right? And he said that in the 60s. And now you can just like hop on the internet and just search for your thing and you're like, oh, look at all these people here. Yeah. Um, yeah, but not like that when I was a kid. <laughs> one, one thing that when you were talking, it reminded me of this. Uh, did you ever watch this show? You might be, I mean, a little too old for this, but like Pete and Pete, did you ever watch that show? No. Oh, okay. Well, there's like, there's an instance. It's like in the 90s and there are two brothers both named Pete and the younger Pete is like riding his bike down like an alleyway with garages and a garage band is playing. And he just stops and he's like, whoa. And then like he can never find them again because he (laughs) he keeps riding by hoping that they're practicing and just like never able to find them again. Um, But yeah, I just felt. It was like you would see things happen and 
then never see it again. Yeah. Or you would see people that you're like, he looks like he skates or yeah, yeah. he plays music. And then you never see that person again. <laughs> it was just, it was a very different world. Yeah. And you kind of have to act quickly right. when you found this too. Yeah. You know? do, you, do you feel like, I don't know. I've been getting into social media like every episode lately. So I hope it's not boring anybody. We'll just touch on it for a second. But do you feel, oh, do you feel that, hmm, how do I, how do I, frame this like that people are a little less socially skillful in real life now or how how has that changed in your perception of like socializing with i don't people? know it's, it's evolving all the mm -hmm. time like yeah. i mean i think because i was like 19 when i got my first computer and aol was out all yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff there was literally like zero etiquette and people were lying all the time and mm -hmm. saying they were somebody else. And there was like, it was such a bizarre transition for so long before we got to social media right. where you knew you were actually talking to a person right. and uh, um, you were making connections versus like all the weird random shit that was happening before. Yeah. Um, so I feel like, if you asked me this question 10 years ago, mm -hmm. I'd have been like, yeah, like we have, we've totally lost touch with reality and we don't know the difference between how to socialize in real life versus online. But now I think because of things like podcasts and zoom and uh, clubhouse and Twitter spaces and, you know, Instagram live, TikTok, all these things, it's kind of made a lot of us grow up. We've had to learn how to communicate um, to people face to face. Yeah. And I think there's like a fine line because a lot of that's really fake. There's like that um, broadcaster influencer sure. Sure. You know, persona that people take on. Yeah. Um, but I find that in the last couple of years, I've really connected. I've, re I've made some really great friends through social media uh, and that's translated into real life and there's not really a, any disconnect between our friendship there and in real life. Um, and I, I think that's pretty amazing, but I, I definitely think it's been transition. Like, yeah, for sure. Even, even clubhouse. When I first got on there, I was like super nervous. I, I didn't know how, you don't know how things work or what the routines were. Everybody had like a pitch when they went in and yeah, yeah. it was yeah. very, um, proper it was like hi i'm so and so and then they would talk about the project tell their story they're like, i'm done speaking now and it's just like Ugh. um but the groups that i'm in now they're more like super casual and we just hang out and chat and um yeah it's it has lots of benefits for sure yeah i was for a lot of shit <laughs> to get them yeah definitely i remember uh first getting like hearing about and then getting invited on clubhouse and and going in there and i was like super hopeful because you know i had this opinion going in that like like text-based communication kind of messes people's brains up because you can't hear tone or like or see a person yeah. and then like i get in the clubhouse and just like you were saying people would just kind of give you their <laughs> MLM like pitch or whatever. And yeah, but then you find those little, little niches where it's just like, 
the chill vibes and, and people hanging out. And yeah, yeah, I, I kind of, I pretty much agree with, with the way you stated it there, but it can't, yeah, you know, it was pretty bizarre at the beginning. I mean, the, those rooms were really weird and like with 200 people, just, it was trying to sell shit. That's yeah. all they were doing was trying to sell their NFTs. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, so, okay. I want to pivot back to, um, you being in high school and then, um, did you go to any other, uh, art school after no. that? Okay. Now I applied to a bunch of schools. I got accepted. I got scholarships and I didn't have any help from my family or anything to get loans. And yeah. I just decided just couldn't just buy books and learn on my own. Nice. So that's the route I took. And what, what year is this? Just curious. 1994. 94. Okay, sweet. Yeah. Um, so what other jobs did you have along the way? You said you were in advertising for like 20 years. So I waited kind of tables. It? I bartended. I, um, managed a gay bathhouse for a year. <laughs> nice. I, um, worked installing air conditioners, uh, was a counselor at the boys and girls club through for a group of four through six year olds. Um, I worked at Kinko's in the full service computer department Wow! <laughs> and then that, that I did construction for a while and Kinko's was like the job that led me into advertising. Cause it uh -huh. was like the dot com era and it, they were just like desperately trying to hire designers all the time. So that's when I got my first like advertising job, like back in the, the dot com days. Nice. So you've kind of done it all seems like yeah i've been around <laughs> <Yeah>. a while <laughs> were you were you drawing through that whole period were you still making art um i was up until i got in advertising like i was do i wasn't doing a lot because i was super poor i was living in los angeles i had limited space and time and money and everything so i was like just drawing on paper sketchbooks yeah. And then when I got into advertising, it was crazy. It was like 80 hour work weeks and Damn. no weekends off and all kinds of like crazy hours and the money was really good. Um, so I just, I kind of felt like at the time I thought, well, it's, it's creative. I'm getting all my creative stuff that I'm doing for a living. Cause it was concept work and it was like in the entertainment industry and, some of it was fun, you know, mm -hmm. some of it was pretty experimental. This is back when like flash and programming were so new that there weren't a lot of rules to the web, everybody was still figuring it out. So mm -hmm. it was a lot of experimentation and, um, a, a lot of that was pretty enjoyable. Um, but then as the years went by, things got a lot more formulaic, a lot of, a lot more rules and strategies were implemented, mm -hmm. a lot of, a lot more things became statistically driven and not so much creatively driven. Mm -hmm. And, um, I started to lose interest a lot in the work. Um, so I started painting again, uh, on the side. It was like, I had a business partner in, um, 2006, who got married and um i was like well i'm gonna make them something special so i like did a painting and i hadn't painted in like 10 years oh, um, nice. 
so that like kind of sparked me getting back into everything and would you just take like any free time you had to paint or did it build up gradually in that kind of way yeah it was like well at the time i was running like I was a partner in a couple different design studios and I worked for other people. And then shortly after that, I started freelancing and mm-hmm. I freelanced for like 14 years. So in that, um, I was able to work a lot, have a lot more flexibility. Yeah. So I could like work in advertising for a couple months or a couple weeks here and there. And that would like more than pay the bills. And then I'd have time to paint for a couple weeks and focus on my own stuff. Um, and that worked pretty well for a long time, but I just felt like as long as I had one foot in and one foot out, um, like I was so reliant on the money being good and advertising. I didn't yeah. even care if it made me miserable. It was like the stability of it was hard to get away from. Totally. Um, but then like, I guess five or six years ago, I just like had one too many horrible projects and I just like, okay. I got to just like make the jump full time into art. And uh, I sent an email out to all my clients that I was no longer taking on freelance work. And uh, it was super uh, scary and sketchy. And that first year was a pretty rough one. Yeah. <laughs> like my income went down to like a third of what it was. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was totally worth it and in the you, long run. Were you living in LA that whole time? No, at that point, because well, I live, I grew up in Kansas City. I lived in LA for ten years, Palm Springs for four years, Sedona, Arizona for three years, Austin, Texas for five years, and then I've been here for two years. So I was in Austin when I quit um, doing advertising. Okay, I think yeah. it's important to kind of highlight that. Like, I know I've been following you for I think since 2014, maybe 2013, and you were still working back then right yeah yeah Yeah. that's crazy to me because like even back then like your work was it still is obviously like phenomenal and i think a lot of people since we don't really get to talk to the artists that much unless we're reaching out to them to just ask them questions like they assume that like if you're making really dope art like that that's probably the only thing you do but you here you are you were like (laughs) I need this stability. I need like a, a steady paycheck every every week or two weeks. Um, yeah, I just think that that's, that's really interesting because that's def- definitely like, was definitely my perception. Uh, I, I think a lot of people believe that. They think that they see a great, great work and that they just assume that they're doing it full time. But I know a lot of really amazing artists who have day jobs and side gigs and all kinds of hustles to keep things, especially if you got a family or, you know, you have other responsibilities and um, it's tough. Like when artists, young artists ask me things like uh, that, they say they want to do art full time and I'm just like, it then do it. But it's like not a linear path for any of us. It's different for every single person. We're all from different circumstances. We all have different priorities and uh, you can't just quit your job and do something full time. (laughs) You have uh, bills that have to be paid. And it's great if you look at your mom or something and (laughs) you have that flexibility, but most of us don't have that. Yeah. Yeah. I tried that um, way too, way too early. 
way too early. <laughs> and then I had to go back and get like a, a job again, you know? Yeah. You saw like one painting and you're like, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like you just saw one painting every three days for $250. For, yeah, you start to calculate it and then nothing goes the way you planned. Absolutely it's, not. No. <laughs> and, and I think like, so I, I'm actually going to start picking up part-time work again now yeah just to kind of like keep things moving at the pace that i feel like they need to because like it's not just like making paintings it's a lot of times it's paying for merch or just a lot of little things that add up and obviously you got to take care of your bills and everything but um yeah i don't know it's it it i was so short-sighted you know i had been painting for two years right and i i uh you know I went to a festival and sold a thousand dollars worth of art. And I was like, I am the king. I can do this forever. <laughs> and it's just like, and even looking back at my art back then, I was like, I'm like, God, what was I thinking? Um, but yeah, I just, I just wanted to underscore that real quick for everybody listening. No, it's, it's very common. Mm -hmm. And like it, there's nothing wrong with going back to work. There's nothing not wrong with all. taking 10 years off from art. There's nothing wrong with not finding your style till you're 50. It's yeah. like there is no linear path to being an artist. And I know people who are so fucking talented and do such amazing work and they just don't paint for years. You know, mm. something happens in life. Um, I've had, definitely had events happen in my life that just knocked all the creativity out of me. Yeah. And it was a real struggle to do anything that involved uh, painting or making art. And so I just always try to like make sure people know this is like a lifelong journey. Yeah. It's not, you're not getting straight out of art school and you're going <laughs> to just like get some big show. But even people that got huge shows at huge galleries who made huge money 15 years ago, that 10, 15 years is a long time. A lot yeah. of them have day jobs now. A lot, yeah. You know, things change. If you're not constantly evolving and changing with the technology and the space and connecting with new collectors and all this stuff, it's, it's, it's a, it's like that meme. Everybody always posts like quit my 40 hour job. Now I work 24 seven. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's true. pretty much like, it. You really do that. Yeah. 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 There's a lot to unpack there. Um, like, yeah, first of all, do you, do you feel like if you're not feeling good, do you still try and push through to create something? Does that, is it? I do now. You do now. Okay. I do now. I did. I, I, I didn't always. Mm -hmm. I've found over the last few years that I do best on a schedule. Like I have so much going on between running the gallery, doing my own shows at other galleries, um, all the NFT work commissions and all this stuff that like, I have to allocate time for it. Mm -hmm. um, so I find that if I say I have to physically paint for three hours and then digitally paint for three hours and then one hour of admin time and then, you know, whatever, like, allocating that time towards it keeps me on schedule. But um, when I wasn't doing that, 
like I found, I found this is a really common thing actually for a lot of artists is when you're first starting that you think like you need to book a show before you're painting, yeah. you know, like, like yeah. you need an event to paint or yeah. something. And, um, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> like, mm. you know, I, when you're, if you're a really, once you hit a certain stride, you're just so booked up on shows that you're always working on the next show. Yes. But like, you should be creating regardless. I remember I, I met with a, it was like Josh Keys mentioned um, a consultant that he met with or worked with who kind of like gave him the okay like it was okay to go full-time you're ready kind of uh -huh. thing uh -huh. and uh and he had put his name out there and everything and so i reached out to this guy kind of hoping i would get that kind of response and that's not the response i got the mm. response i got was you have like the skill level but you're not working enough you're not <clears throat> you're like waiting for shows instead of just your regular yeah. practice and doing everything you need to do and it was totally true mm -hmm. i was i was like waiting for something to happen and then um it, it never did <laughs> right know? right right <laughs> so when i go back to it, it was like when i wasn't on a schedule and i wasn't on a routine uh, i i had many times where i wasn't able to create you know and i had some major life events happen where that sent me in spiraling depressions and anxiety and all kinds of stuff and i just was totally unable to create yeah um and it just happens mm -hmm. and so now you like if if a crazy life event were to come up do you think that um the act of making art um is kind of like a like a painkiller or not a painkiller but like something that could soothe you and then also like the routine is there to give you like a little bit of structure so that you're not just like, what should I do? It's like, there's these things yeah. on the calendar that it's like, okay, well I gotta, you know, I'm supposed to do this today. And you know, there's always like being gentle with yourself and, and like forgiving yourself if you miss a day or whatever, you got to take some yeah. time. But so do you think that those two things could, can buff it against like, and not totally protect, but just like kind of support you and guide you still if like catastrophe happens in your life? I think it helps. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, I never say never to anything at this point. Cause I know that, uh, every time I do, I just get like kicked in the head by it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> definitely something super tragic could happen that prevents me from painting again. But yeah. at this point I've made it through a pandemic. <laughs> yeah. I've made it through all kinds of like, deaths in my family and all kinds of stuff that has happened in the last couple of years. And I've been able to like maintain some stability in what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, and I, I attribute a lot of that to like maintaining a schedule of some sort. And I do have the flexibility to take days off when I need to and that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, keeping a schedule has helped curve yeah. that a lot. Yeah, totally. Um, so yeah, since we're kind of in the kind of in this realm, like I want to talk a little bit more about like like just like process and and routine kind of things. Like what if we could look at your planner? What do you, 
you sort of described it earlier, but like, is that kind of what your day looks like? It's like, do you plan it down by the hours or are you? Yeah. By the hours. I'm like, I'm not an early riser cause I stay up late. <clears throat> so like from 10 o'clock to 11 is uh, kind of my planning time. Like if I've got shit that needs to get done that day or whatever, I list everything out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whatever errands need to be ran usually happen in that first hour, 10 to 11. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I get into the gallery, uh, 11 and it's my studio. And so I'm generally working in the studio from 11 to three, primarily on physical stuff, but I also, since like right now, um, I finished my last show. So I have a little bit of leeway right now for like about the next couple of weeks. And um, so I'm doing more admin stuff during the day than I had been previously. Mm -hmm. I go home at three o'clock and that's downtime from about three to five where um i start prepping for dinner <laughs> and getting nice. things ready <clears throat> and then by around six o'clock i have dinner and then by seven o'clock um i'm back to work so seven o'clock i start doing all my digital work uh it's pretty laid back i can sit on my couch and have tv or whatever going on in the background or i can sit on the back porch or whatever. And, um, based on how much work I have on my plate, which right now is kind of a lot, um, digitally, uh, that can go from seven to 1 AM mm-hmm. or that can be from like seven to 10. Yeah. Um, it just depends on the day. Yeah. And then I try mostly to take Sundays off. Mm-hmm. Uh, that doesn't always happen. Yeah. Um, but I have a lot of flexibility in it too. Like tomorrow I'm going up to Santa Fe for the day to, pick up a painting and meet with some friends and whatnot. But nice. you know, that's my typical day though. Pretty regimented. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I've been, I don't know. I've discovered the uh, magic of the planner in the last couple of years and I don't have my days regimented like that. I'm just like, I'll just write down like what needs to get done. Yeah. But I think, I mean, just to, I don't think that's my nature, you know, like, and I feel like yeah. maybe a lot of artists are this way. They're just like art, you know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to do. I mean, it's a big learning curve. I just have it programmed in my phone. It's just a reminder, like 10 o'clock it says, get this done. Yeah. So, you know, I don't always get it done. I don't always right. stick with every little element that's supposed to the day changes based on appointments or schedules and whatever. But um, I try to start my day with the same thing, like just a general list of the little shit that needs to get done. Mm-hmm. And the main reason why I do that is because when, when, when I lay down at night to go to sleep, I can sleep. Yes. If I don't write it down, then I lay down and I think, Oh fuck, think I it. forgot. I need to do this. I need to do this. And I need to remind myself to call this person and I didn't answer this email. And, you know, I just find all those things. As soon as I lay my head down on the pillow, they're just like, Oh, Hey, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, by the way, I know you haven't seen yeah. us all day cause you <laughs> neglected us. <laughs> well, that leads into uh, a question that I was going to ask you actually, like, so I know that I've, I've struggled with 
with this particular thing a lot in the past. Like, and I imagine a lot of other artists have and do too, but like I struggle with pumping the brakes at the end of the day. Right. Like, so how do you, you just kind of mentioned one way. I don't know if you have any others, but like, are there any other ways that you unwind? Like writing things down, I think is super important, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't always do it, but if I do find that I'm ruminating on things at the end of the day, before I go to bed, I just do like a stream of conscious, write down a bunch of stuff, whatever the thoughts are in my head that helps get a lot of that out. Yeah. Um, it's tough. Some nights I work later than others. Cause I'm, you know, you just you you hit to. a stride on something and it just keeps going and you don't want to put it down. Um, but you know, like I, I like to have like a couple, um, cups of, uh, holy basil tea, which helps, um, helps you stay asleep once you get asleep. Oh, okay. Nice. Um, I have that at night. Uh, I usually like whatever I'm watching is generally pretty weird. And then before I go to bed, I watch like an episode of like Bob's burger or something like a palate cleanser. (laughs) So so I don't go to dreamland on some bizarre, uh, especially now, you know, Halloween season, um, like bizarre horror film bleeding into all my dreams. (laughs) Uh, uh, and and i try to for at least the last half an hour before i go to bed to like be off any electronics like yeah phone ipad and that kind of stuff for sure but yeah are you so are you using an ipad to do all your digital stuff or yeah okay yeah i do everything and procreate sweet yeah that's i think my next big uh investment is an ipad with obviously procreate on there um but yeah, yeah, it's, it's kind of a game changer. So, at least for me, yeah, I have several friends who are using it, and not all of them are making digital art necessarily. But like something that they're doing that I really love is they're taking a photo of their painting in progress, and then you know just seeing what might look cool with it. I do that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's changed my painting process. Um, I didn't. I didn't use it to make digital art so much up until this year with all the NFT stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, the last couple of years, I'd, I'd used it a lot to like sketch out ideas. And um, if I get to a place in a painting or I'm not exactly sure where I'm going, I take a picture of it and then just sketch on top of it on my iPad. Yeah, And it helps a lot for that um my process in painting is much faster (laughs) than it was before because you know sometimes those mistakes just lead you down a path that you can't come back from (laughs) yeah so you know some some ideas work some ideas don't and it's much easier to work those out on the ipad than it is on the campus for sure so are you when you start a painting do you begin with you just keep it loose until something materializes or do you have a solid idea or is it somewhere on the spectrum between those two things? Most of the time it's loose. Yes. Uh, Every once in a while I have a specific like composition or something in my mind that I want to explore, but I never, um, never stuck to it. Like I don't ever feel like this is how it has to be. It can definitely go down different routes. So, um, but most of the time, 
I just lay down color and um, pull out shapes or textures or something that I am enjoying with it. And um, then now I'll take a picture of that once I get to that spot, bring it into the iPad and start drawing on top of it and kind of seeing what I want to do from there. Nice. What's influenced you outside of, of painting outside of like other painters, you know, like movies, books, comic books, um, music, you know, what, what do you see like seeping into your work, um, from other creative fields? It's kind of everything at this point. Um, I felt like for a long, I was getting really stuck on the landscapes um, Mm. because I went into that at a specific time in my life with specific things that were happening around me. And um, nowadays, I'd kind of like painted myself in a corner. Like I just didn't, there was all these things that I wanted to put down that I could not, it did not gel with that, um, that aesthetic. And now I feel like I can just, literally do anything I want. So at this point, um, it is everything. I mean, I I have a lot of nostalgic things coming in lately that, um, I love doing (laughs) like, Uh you know, it just integrates a lot of stuff from when I was a kid. And I I feel like I'm like reverting back to my childhood a lot where I'm finding all those things that I just really enjoyed doing for the joy of doing it. And it, it feels good to make it. I was really scared about doing it when I first started doing it because it's so different Mm -hmm. than what I had been known for. But when the pandemic hit and everything was shutting down and all this stuff, I was just like, well, if I'm ever going to do it, like this is the time to do it. Yeah. Um, and so I just like let all of the expectations go. And now I just literally create whatever the hell I want to create. Yeah. Um, I, I think I, there was that there's that part of Instagram and social media that they really drill into you that you're like a brand and you need to be yeah. consistent and everything needs to look like you and all this stuff. And and maybe there's a part of that that hurts me or hinders some part of my career. I don't know or care at this point. I just know I'm way happier with what I'm doing um, and being able to like, just take any observation or thought or, uh, inspiration or whatever. And whether it's digital or physical, or, you know, even some of the animated pieces that I do, I create the music for it and uh, garage band or whatever, oh, nice. like just, I just do whatever I want to do now. And it like, it feels amazing. <laughs> like it just, oh, yeah. That's awesome. That's great to hear. So do you think that the the pandemic sort of precipitated that that change or do you think that it was inevitable at some point? I've been building towards it for a while, but it definitely gave me like the the freedom to fully explore it. Yeah. Uh, I just moved here not not but 6 months prior to the pandemic hitting uh to Albuquerque and I was I knew I wanted things to change. That's like part of why we moved here was for uh-huh. a change. And uh, I just got in a new studio at the time and I just was ready to, you know, dive into something different. And I feel like a lot of creatives 
had those kind of experiences during the pandemic. A lot of them, a lot of people that I knew in advertising like left their jobs to pursue like creative endeavors of their own versus, you know, because that that money dried up, the, those yeah, yeah. things closed up. The, yeah. You know, everything changed. Um, so the pandemic opened the door for a lot of us to do something different. And it just affected me personally. Like yeah. I, I think as a person, that first few months where we had zero idea what was happening yeah. during lockdown. And I just spent all this time like working on my backyard and hanging out with my family and just, I didn't paint a lot during that period. I just kind of took time off and it helped me like evaluate what was important to me. And um, it also showed me like, I am happy when I'm busy. Like, yeah. I, you know, I know that there's a lot of people that say, you know, you need your mental health and you need to like busy is not good. And, and I think it depends on what you're busy doing. When I was busy doing other people's shit, I was miserable. When I'm busy doing my stuff, it feels like, great. Feels amazing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I've definitely had a few burnout moments, but I can take a week off and then get right back in it. And um, yeah, being busy for your own ideas and your own creativity and your own stuff. Like it's kind of magical. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's the best. And I, and I will say that too, that like from my own experience, like I definitely, I don't know if I even consciously did this, but like I definitely started like switching the style up a little bit of my work during the pandemic. And I really got into like op art and like stripey stuff. Um, But yeah, I think, nostalgia came up for me too man like i I don't know why but like i was really you know just fascinated with things from childhood i started watching like old michael jordan clips from like back in the day and just you know lord of the rings and and all these like obscure emo bands that i used to be into and it's interesting like how like what a person's consciousness is made up of. And I think that when the world was like, just sort of not, I don't want to use the word dead, but it was slowed down. Yeah, it was still, still. that's a perfect word. When it's still like you get a little time to kind of like, just like look around and look around at what has shaped you and what is important to you as well. And yeah, I, I found myself, fairly busy during the pandemic um maybe not like right at first but i just kept i was just like oh cool now the rest of the world is gonna kind of get a taste of what a day in the life like that an artist lives you know yeah it was like peak period for introverts yes <laughs> yeah. like, you know it, there was no longer uh, a million facebook posts making you feel guilty about not doing some stupid social event or mm-hmm. you know having going to a party or going to a bar or doing any number of things that i would usually dread yeah so <laughs> it was like perfectly cool to be at home yeah and uh, you know, I missed restaurants and I missed seeing some of my friends and that kind of stuff. But the world being still 
was pretty amazing. It's pretty nice, right? I, I think looks... also it's like, it, it's sort of, I don't want to speak too soon, but it's sort of retained a little bit of that stillness in the, you know, in the uh, small uh, data set of four times that I've been out since COVID has sort of like re or since that, since everything has reopened, right? Like I've only yeah. been out about four times, but it doesn't seem, it doesn't seem as like, go, 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 go. No, it's not as pressing. Like, yeah, it's still not safe to go to a lot of places. Right. You know, you can be 100%. vaccinated or whatever. It doesn't matter. So, um, you know, my friends still are not getting together and having dinner like they used to every week. Mm -hmm. It's, um, it's changed things. I don't know if it's changed them forever, but. Right. It's definitely changed them pretty severely for now. And totally. I still don't feel that um, pressure to be social. Uh, like, I mean, I feel like I get a lot of that sociability through uh, my interactions on um, social media. And, um, and that is enough. Yeah. for me because yeah. I was like the type of person who I like socializing yeah. but if you take me to a party in two hours I'm done and yeah. I'm like I've talked and I'm all the small talk I can have like yeah. I'm done I want to go home and you know and work <laughs> like, yeah. it's like for those of us who like to work I think the pandemic has been amazing <laughs> yeah know? Yeah. I I like um where well you're in Colorado, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, here it's cool because we have mountains everywhere. There's lots of outdoor places you can go. Um you're not going to be crowded with people and you can clear your head and I I feel I felt bad for people who lived like in big cities and they were kind of like really bound to their location here it was easy i could like drive an hour and i'd be out in the middle of nowhere and i could just clear my head and and do cool shit but um yeah yeah now i'm just rambling i don't remember what we were talking about that's yeah, okay <laughs> i do that all the time I, i'm usually good for about one of those or two of those per episode so um we're just fulfilling a quota at this point uh, okay but yeah i did i did want to talk about like the work itself and now we can kind of see uh, a painting behind you that i'm really digging and this is kind of like would you say <laughs> i mean you were doing this uh were you doing this before the pandemic kind of the portraits of like prominent noses like glowing sort of eyeballs. i didn't have noses uh -huh. i had been experimenting over the last um couple years prior, I had, had been wanting to push into these portraits. I had been experimenting with them and um, I just hadn't really dove in. And it was literally like the month before the pandemic hit. Um, I just went nuts and started painting a bunch of them for a, for a show that I had upcoming. Mm -hmm. And um, it just developed from there. It's just each show I've done since it, there's something new that I'm adding to it. There's some other element, you know, there's usually some kind of thematic, um, 
deal going on for each show. So that inspires a lot of it. But for the most part, this all started in February of 2020. Nice. It feels like I've been doing it for much longer because I've produced so much work in the last year and a half. But yeah, but hasn't you, been that long. If you had to describe it, I know it's kind of unfair to ask an artist to. Maybe it's not unfair, but it's just cliche to ask an artist to describe or genreify their work. What would you call it? I, I generally call it like abstract portraiture or, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's like the whole idea behind everything for me is when I, when, when I started doing these portraits, it started like literally at the beginning of, um, in 2016 when the new administration had taken place and I just was like watching my friends like go through so much like turmoil and shit through, through all of this. And I just kind of like wanted to capture that. And so that evolved into more of an idea of just like identity in general. Cause a lot of what those, those like four years made me think about is like, why do we, it wasn't just those four years, the, the depression and stuff I went through the year prior. Um, it made me think about just like, why do we relate to things the way we relate to them? Yeah. Um, I've noticed over the years for many different experiences that like I cling on to things and I make it my identity. Mm-hmm. You know, you make your relationship, your identity, you're a music collector. It's your identity. You're a writer, you're an artist, you're, you're whatever. Um, And then when we lose that identity, when you lose that relationship, when you lose that ability, when you, whatever, you don't, you literally don't know who the fuck you are anymore. Yeah. And um, so my, my experience in that a lot was that uh, like dismantling our identity, like separating ourselves, what is ourselves from all of the experiential elements that we identify ourselves as, which obviously are not us. Right. So a lot of my uh, work now is all like these dismembered aspects of our physical elements or nostalgic childhood things, or um, it can just be an aesthetic. It could just be a throwback reference to something in skateboarding or a punk scene or mm-hmm. whatever, which is like, just made, it just always makes me think now about, about identity and just pulling identity apart. Yeah. And um, I'm really glad you brought that up because one of, you know, one of my questions I have written out, it it just says identity question mark. And, uh, I'm actually really fascinated with this too. Um, I think I come from more of a a place where it's like that comes more from like psychedelics and meditation and just having that sort of just dissolving experience where like boundaries, conventional boundaries of like the body as like your identity sort of can melt away and you're just awareness. Um, but yeah, I, I'm actually like very fascinated with that. And, um, I've, 
I've been I've been doing like a lot of op art stuff, and then now I want to I'm incorporating like organs of the body in there too, just to kind yeah. of because like you know optical illusion. Yeah, a lot of people think that this reality itself is some sort of optical illusion, and then we just sort of insert our stories based on the memories and experiences we've had. Um, yeah. Do you do you think that so like kind of the overall tone in like a lot of Buddhist <coughs> literature is like that identity can be a trap. Do you feel that way? Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's a lot of, that's, that's a major motivator behind everything that I do is like to not, there's like two tiers. Mm -hmm. There's definitely things in the nostalgic aspect where I'm like, I love this. You can't yeah. take away my past. Right. You, you, like, there's a, there's an identity in that that I don't think I can lose. Mm -hmm. And I don't think like I gain anything by being attached to it other than um, just like acknowledging these like good times in my life yeah. and, uh, and, and like wanting to keep, cause I, when I think back about the nostalgic stuff, it's not so much about a movie or music or anything. It's like a feeling right. there's that freedom of being a, a teenager into all these new things. And there's an energy around it and it's exciting. And, and um, it's more about like reconnecting with that and the nostalgic side of it. Yeah. The rest of the identity, you know, it's, we do it so much even within, like you were talking about in the psychedelic realm, like there's such a bro culture in the psychedelic realm. <laughs> there's a lot of people who have had major psychedelic experiences, but they don't have any real life experiences um, oh, to yeah. <laughs> really relate the, the two, like right. to understand the expansiveness of the drug that they took and, and the experience they had versus, you know, how that relates to real life. And, um, you know, it was like before, as I was talking about identity, um, I, in 2009, uh, I was a big music collector. Mm -hmm. I collected just like a, a shit ton. I had, like vinyl. I'd, been, I'd been digitizing everything, moving yeah. it to external drives, all this stuff. And, um, I lost an external drive, 350 gigs of music on it. Oh man. And, um, it like, it was like a death. You're like, Oh my God, like I've invested so much time and money and energy into this. This is a part of my identity. I'm a music collector. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then in a couple of weeks, it was so freeing to like not feel obligated to keep up with the music, to be on top of every little trend and detail and be buying everything and be able to have that, like, how cool am I guy conversation with other music <laughs> yeah, collectors yeah, yeah. and, you know, all the things that came with that as my identity and just let that go. And then like Spotify came out and I was like, I don't have to buy anything. Yeah. I just like make a playlist of the things I like and I don't have to relate to them as me. And right, um, right. that was like one of the first big uh, like realizations about my attachment to identity mm -hmm. was um, that. I, I think when we talk about identity, we think a lot about 
ourselves, our, our person, like, right. who are you? You know, when someone <laughs> asks you, like, who are you? It's like this deep philosophical thing. Uh, but really the biggest trappings of, of identity to me are those little things. It's all those things you attach yourself to, um, at all, every different little culture, every yeah. thing that you, all your interests, all your collections, all your, uh, all these things that like make up your perception of you right. that, uh, or, or become such a big trapping. Yeah. And it's like. It, it's such a tricky thing to talk about because, um, you know, it's hard to talk about the self front, you know, in, in just like a normal state of consciousness, I guess for me, it just seems like you, somehow you need to have like a third, third person in air quotes, there perspective of what the self is and, uh, like a lot of people describe it as a process of just this, like it's sort of like uh, a metabolism of perception and uh, awareness and, and things like this. And now I'm rambling and I don't know exactly where I'm going with this, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Like there, I don't think it matters really. I mean, to me, it just, it just doesn't matter. Like right. what I identify as doesn't matter. Yeah. Like even, even when I came out as like non-binary, I'm like, that's just another identity for me. Uh. Okay, fine. I don't want to identify with my body as a male body. Right. Because oh no. So yeah, we were yeah. talking, we got, we had a internet uh, disruption there. <laughs> And it was just getting really, really interesting. But you were talking about um, coming out as non-binary as it relates to identity. and Yeah, it, it was one of those things where I related to being non-binary because so much of my like identity exploration is about not necessarily connecting with my, I'm not my body, you know, sure. all, all those typical things that you will find within like Buddhist uh, teachings. But um, there's so many people within that community that are, that take such hard stances on their non-binary aspects that it's just, it's become like another identity to attach to. Mm -hmm. So I don't really care at this point what my pronouns are or what people perceive me as, or look at me as I more worry about how I feel about myself. And, um, you know, I still, prefer to identify as non-binary, but it doesn't have the weight um, that it does, I think, for a lot of people. I don't know. Right, right. So, like, the the gender of uh, man is, like, not an end-all, be-all for, like, yeah. who, really, who any anyone is as a person, right? Like, yeah. I think it's so much more important to just, I don't know, be a good human being and like your human yes. being first at the core of it all. Like we all kind we all suffer. We all experience pain. We all experience joy. And I think that well, people just want to find happiness however they can. And I think that that's, no, I agree. that's maybe the core of like an identity that we could all connect to. 
and let everybody just be themselves. That's the key thing, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I think when it comes to identity, the hardest part of saying for someone to be themselves is that most people don't know who they are. Yeah. It's that self-awareness um, thing again. Yeah. I mean, I, I see it a lot in, um, and people who just have like a, a negative outlook on everything. Yeah. Um, and they've, they've almost connected with that as their identity. Like, you know, I'm a Debbie Downer or, you know, I'm emu or <laughs> I'm, <laughs> you know, yes. I said emu because there was a, there was a kid in my car. Um, my um, daughter, friend she just killed me because she was talking about the music she likes she's she was 12 at the time uh-huh. she's like yeah i'm very emo <laughs> and my partner and i just looked at each other like okay um so now it's hard for me to say emo i always say emu <laughs> i mean that's yeah it's perfect i don't know why but it's perfect <laughs> oh can you hold on one second yeah for sure me. for sure now, what was I talking about? We were talking about emus, I think. And oh, emus. Yeah. And other genres of, of oh, music. The the basis of that was more that people, um, they don't know who they are outside of the things they identify with. Right. So yeah. if you ask who someone is, they tell you what they identify as or they identify with versus what they actually are. Yeah. Um, and I guess the harder part in any of these explorations is realizing that, like, you just have to let people find their way. Right. Like, you, you, you lecturing them is not going to change them. No, no. <laughs> like, on either side, you know. them on all these things, you know, you're not going to change their, their aptitude or awareness or anything um, based on your opinions. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you believe so, in free will? I I don't believe either way, honestly. Yeah. I think that's the first time I've said that, but I don't it's not of interest to me. Like yeah. it, it just is. Like it, it's a, a philosophical question yeah. that no one can answer. You can only right. argue. Right. Um, <laughs> true so it's like it does it matter if i believe in free will does it matter if the next person does or does not um yeah i think um we're all just on our own path and yeah. it's as simple as that yeah yeah i think it's somewhat of a paradox myself like, yeah because obviously like you can't change when, where, and to whom you were born, you know? And I mean, I feel like that in and of itself creates such a, you know, such a long path out into the future that it's kind of hard to change it with any sort of willpower, uh, you know, along the way. I think it's more about just like the information that you have access to or that you're attracted to for some reason and then the ability to integrate that and then make 
informed decisions, I guess. I think some people have an overall stronger will than other people. Yeah, definitely. I think you see it a lot in artists, actors, uh, musicians, um, but also in politicians or just people of power or whatever. Some people have a stronger will to change things yes yeah, yeah. for themselves or for other people it doesn't matter they just have a stronger will about them um i mean i also i often found myself when i was younger like wishing that i was more normal like mm. i don't want to say ordinary but normal because um, yeah. you know my family for the most part they didn't have like a lot of motivation. So they didn't like, they didn't seem stressed about expressing themselves or making <laughs> something or building something or yeah. whatever. Um, like life would be so much easier if I just like didn't care about a lot of that shit, <laughs> but less rewarding too. Right. Oh no. Did I lose you again? <laughs> yeah. Less rewarding. Right. I think is it a different kind of rewarding? Is it more rewarding or less rewarding? I have no idea. Yeah. Uh, thank you for the yeah. oh, are, are we back? Yeah. Okay. Sweet. Yeah. I got I got a little nervous. My connection again. is unstable. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. um I've got I've got one more section of questions to ask you about. Um, okay. Uh and it's about business. And I guess I'll just start off like when you were when you were coming up, especially, this is curious to me. Like obviously you had another you had like a job you could fall back on. But did you have any strategies on like how to navigate making a living as an artist? No, I mean, (laughs) it's just something I learned really early on because I befriended and met a lot of successful artists and creatives that I really um, looked up to. And it was just nothing was the same about any of them. Yeah. Like, it just goes back to the same thing. Like, there is no linear path. There's nothing that you you can't look at the next person and say, this is how to do it. Um, right. You know, it, the the way to get there is as subjective as the art that you're looking at. Like, it, it, everybody has an opinion on it. Everybody's got their own way, their own direction. And um, I was just always kind of like, I think we're always just trying to figure out what works for us. Like hundred percent forever. (laughs) (laughs) Unless you, unless you're lucky. I mean, I know people that like met really good managers and they're able to sell their work and they really help them um, as like mentors and help them create um, themselves within the fine arts world. And I never had that. So Mm -hmm. that's just a path I don't know about. Um, yeah. I think that the people who can do that for artists um, are very rare. And um, finding the right person that can do that, that works well for you, is probably even more rare. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely wish there was definitely a time when I wanted just to find the perfect gallery representation or the perfect, you know, partner or just anything that could alleviate a lot of this, 
the stuff from me. Mm-hmm. Um, but recently I've just like, just kind of embraced it. Like been doing this long enough now. Yeah. Ain't nobody going to come save me. <laughs> like, you just have to keep going. And I mean, first and foremost, it's just always just create your best work. And on the business side of it, you know, there's a lot of smart things you can do. You can promote yourself and you can maintain your social media accounts the best possible. Try to stay as authentic to act to who you actually are yeah. and what you're doing, who you talk to and how you talk. Um, but uh, there's no clear business model to any of it. I mean, I'm running a gallery right now. Yeah. My studio. And all I can do is take the examples of the galleries that I've worked with over the years. And I basically pulled the parts that I like the most from each one because no, no one's perfect. No personality is perfect. No gallery is perfect. Right. Um, and I'm still learning. Like every show that I do, there's some facet of curating that I hadn't thought of or um, experienced. And um, I think it just makes you, it's just experience. It makes you better as a person, as a whole, the more experiences you have. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I wanted to ask you about your gallery. Um, Is that sort of what the whole idea of like that, that no one's going to come save you, which is very like, we should just put that in quotes and, and stamp it on every artist's sketchbook. Uh, but um, was that, did that kind of precipitate like you wanting to open your own gallery? I didn't want to. I mean, it wasn't <laughs> like, it wasn't a plan. Okay, it was great. in the back of my head. I always had this like dream because I didn't think I was ever going to find like the right gallery that was just gonna like run with my stuff and, Mm -hmm. um, and really represent me. Um, I didn't think at this point that any of that was going to happen. So I thought, well, maybe what's for me is a studio that has like a gallery in the front. So I can just kind of be my own representation and whatever, Um, And it was just kind of always on the back of my head. It was never really something I spoke about a lot with. I I spoke to my father about it and um, it was during the pandemic last year Mm -hmm. and I was moving out of my studio uh, because I didn't, it didn't feel safe because there was a lot of other people there. And um, I also, when I moved into that space, they said it was going to be like a, a, uh, artist community and all this, but it didn't end up being so many artists as it was like crafts people and whatnot, all mm-hmm. very nice people individually, but it wasn't going to get me anywhere. No one's going to come to an open studio to see what we were presenting as yeah, a yeah. group. Yeah. Um, and my dad was like, well, why don't you just open up your own gallery? And I was like, cause that's hard. Like <laughs> it's a lot of work. Right. And, um, and I just instantly had a reaction, a response to like, no, that's like, that's, that's way above me. Um, and then we talked about it more and I was like, oh, I guess I am already working really hard. And, you know, 
Like, it wouldn't hurt to look what's out there. I'm in Albuquerque. It's very affordable. Uh, it's probably the only place I've ever lived that is, uh, is, is as affordable as it is other than Kansas City growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just happened to be walking my dog by this place. And I'd walked past it probably 100 times before I noticed after that conversation that it was open. And it had been apparently sitting here for about two years un- unused. So I called the management, the number on the door, uh, just kind of out of nowhere. And within a week I had the keys nice. and I wasn't really sure what I was going to do. Yeah. I was like, it could just be my studio space. It could be anything. Um, you know, maybe it is just like my gallery of my stuff. Maybe it's a, you know, I, I've always wanted to work with, um, I have so many like amazing artists that I've met over the years, so many amazing friends. And I just thought, well, this is a opportunity to work with them. Yeah. And, um, it, I still don't know, you know, maybe like gallery business is hard business. Maybe in a year it won't have really panned out to what I want it to be. And maybe I'll close it down and just make it my studio. I I have no idea. It's much easier for me to say I have no idea what it's going to be than it is to put a lot of expectations on it. Yeah, for sure. And and you get to have this the added advantage of just having it be open-ended instead of like, well, we need to meet our quarterly goals of of selling this many paintings or, you know. Yeah. No, I mean, the fact that it is affordable, the space itself is affordable, I could just have it as my studio. Oh, sweet. Um, but right now, um, doing the shows that I'm doing, it's paying for itself. Awesome. You know, I mean, my, my goal going into it was like, I wanted to put the efforts into promoting artists. So I like, I pay for a lot of advertisements and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. And then I, um, I only take 30% versus a 50% cut because nice. my overhead is so low. Um, so I try to help the artists as much as possible and, um, you know, and then just see what happens. You know, if it takes off, it takes off. I, I think from the very beginning, what I had in my mind was I will do what works in this space. Maybe this city doesn't support a gallery like this. Yeah. Um, most of my, I've had, I don't think any of my sales have been local. I, most of it's been sold through online, uh, through Instagram or through Artsy. Um, nice. But we'll just see what happens. Sweet. I like that business model. That that's like a business model that uh that I would <laughs> yeah. that, that I'm all about. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, I mean, I've put money into renovating the space. I put effort into it. I tend to like to always like leave a place better than I came into it. So I feel like even if I don't gain anything financially off of it in the end, I'll at least have made the space accessible to someone else coming in and starting a business here. If I was to leave, nice. Uh, And otherwise for the next three years, it's mine. (laughs) Totally. Well, yeah. And, and your, uh, you know, from my vantage point, your curation is, is really great. And I feel like I sort of I've sort of been sniping uh, artists from 
I think it's your most <laughs> recent show, What's in a Face. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got, you know, Manuel and Juan and then uh, Sarah, Sarah and <laughs> uh, uh, Michael coming, all coming uh, up. So, nice. and now here we are with you, uh, yeah. the owner of the gallery that had that show. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I feel really lucky. Um, you know, it was definitely a fear of mine going in, being a new gallery, mm-hmm. that um, are artists going to, like, trust me? Because they have to trust me. They can't trust the gallery. There's no reputation on the gallery. And um, a lot of artists have trusted me to show their work. And uh, that's well, pretty humbling, don't you considering think, some of the names. Yeah, but don't you think that it helps that, like, you're, I mean, you're a well-respected and pretty well-known artists too, right? I mean, like, don't you think, like, as another artist, I would, I would be stoked to, to work with an artist slash gallerist. You know what I mean? I don't think about, I, I don't think when someone says something to me, like you're a well-respected artist, I'm always like, Oh, am I? <laughs> I don't really I think, think so. I don't really I don't think know. about it. Uh, yeah 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 uh, so uh i mean i'm not surprised about a, a lot of people because they are friends of mine and I, I knew that they would be interested in showing but a, a lot of the artists that are new to me because there's some people that i'm showing that they don't follow me uh they don't know anything about me mm-hmm. uh and i've just approached them out of the blue and um you know it some of them say yes and some of them say no Hmm. and uh you know that's uh, not to go too far back but when we're talking about artists getting um into the game and business plans and all this kind of stuff yeah i do i do want to say this um rejection is a part of the game i don't care what side you are on you are going to be rejected. Yeah. I've been rejected yeah. from many galleries. I have been as a gallery rejected from many artists. I have been, you know, it, it is part of the deal. Not everybody is a good fit. It might not just be your work. It might be personalities. It might be any number of things, Yeah. but like the right fit is the right fit. And I've had people already be so upset that I've told them that I don't think their work is like a good fit for what I'm doing here. Yeah. And it's like, to me, it's really easy to say, cause I've heard that so many times. Yeah. <laughs> that it's just, it's the reality. It is the truth. Totally. Like I would rather someone tell me the truth than lead me on and make it seem like, well, maybe in a few years or, you know, just, tell me the truth. You're not interested in working with me. Um, you know, and that's how it is here. Like I have vision for the type of work that I want to show that vision might change, Mm -hmm. but I know when I am drawn to someone's work or not. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. I think that for success to happen, you have to fail X amount of times and it's going to be different for everybody. Right. Yeah. And not everybody goes through that either. I, I, there yeah. are people that get straight out of art school and they get some big gallery job, a gallery gig, and sell out all their work. And that happens. Yeah. It's not most of us, but right. some of us. Yeah. I'd know. like to interview that person someday. 
Yeah, yeah. You just can't compare yourself to other people in terms of successes. Yeah, that's so important because I I mean, I think that that's, you know, they say comparison is the thief of joy or whatever. It's so true. Yeah, I mean, even with my friends, I see my friends, some of my friends get opportunities that I would kill, just love to have that opportunity. And uh, sometimes they don't even take them. (laughs) <laughs> they're just like nah it's not right for me yeah um but you know that's just the way it works it's I'm sure it's happened in reverse for a lot of them too to see me get certain opportunities and, sure sure uh, did you ever throw any like pop-up shows before opening your gallery no really no i never i never i never did coffee shops i never did like pop-ups and never did like, I, I think that's the free, that's the freedom that having had a, um, a job on the side allowed oh, right. me yeah, yeah. was that, um, I kind of had like my idea of what my standard was that I was like, not going to cross. Like, I'm not going to do these certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was just one of them. And I don't think there's anything wrong with doing them. It just wasn't for me. Right. Like, yeah. you know, I have certain galleries that I think are amazing people and galleries. I don't want to show with them because mm. of the way they hang work or <laughs> the aesthetics that they go for or the things they support. You know, there's, there's yeah, a million yeah. reasons why we do and don't. Uh, pursue different things so so you do a lot of um you know what lawyers i guess would call due diligence on galleries before you agree to share with them dude i vet everybody i work with yeah you know what's that process look like as a gallery i'm not haven't been real successful at it there's been a few artists that i've been surprised by like um, and then some that like hugely, uh, pleasantly surprised me as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to galleries, I don't do it as much anymore because I'm not approaching any galleries at this point. Um, generally, they're approaching me and that makes it much easier. But when I first started, I was like applying to every gallery. I was for one of stupid because I didn't pay. I wasn't paying attention to the type of work they show mm-hmm. um, and whether or not my work really fit into what they were doing or any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so if you're doing that and you're just kind of desperately throwing out every, you know, like dart you can, you're bound to get a lot of rejection. Um, Which I guess is, is uh, you know, practice for having tough skin in, yeah. in the fact that we'll all get rejected at some I think point. the hardest part is like vetting yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Knowing where you are mm-hmm. in your art is probably the most difficult. Most of the people that I turn down for shows, um, it's cause I don't think they know where they are. I don't think that they've done the work. Or I don't think that they, I mean, sometimes it's just aesthetically, it's just not a thing, but a mm-hmm. lot of times it's new artists and they're, I, I see that hustle and I see that they're just looking for an opportunity and they just, you know, they're, they probably given the same spiel to every gallery in town and, mm-hmm. um, and, and all that, but it's important to like, be able to look at your own work objectively 
So yeah. not so much about comparing yourself to others, but at least knowing if you're up to, you know, that level. Right. Uh, so when I vet galleries, I, these days I look at who they represent. Um, are they people I know? Are they people I like? Yeah. Is it work that I like? Do I see myself? Could I see my work being in the same room as them? Would that work? Mm-hmm. Um, and I look at how long they've been around and how long they've, they're established. I look at how much they promote and uh, push their artists and shows. Um, I think there's a lot of spaces that do not put very much effort into earning their 50% uh, commission. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, I understand for like New York, San Francisco, LA, there's a lot of overhead. That makes sense. 50%. But there's a lot of smaller cities where I'm, I see them doing 50% and they're not advertising. They're hardly using their social media. They're not putting the effort into promoting artists and, Mm -hmm. um, think it would it's silly for any gallery at this point to act like most artists aren't selling a lot of their own work yeah like most most big artists have big followings and they've been around and they're doing all kinds of exciting things and people are watching them they're not just watching your gallery and um you know, but that's but that's one of the facets I look at is like how much effort galleries are putting into um, representing artists. Yeah, and uh, yeah, those are the main points. I think the second one, just like, does my work fit in with the people they represent, mm-hmm. is like a big deal. Um, so, would you go looking for galleries first that fit the aesthetic? that you as an artist are doing probably and then from there you're like all right well are is this gallery promoting are they are they hustling for their artists and then just after that it's just kind of like meeting and talking to whoever's whoever's on that side of it yeah it's I mean, I definitely went for the galleries that I liked the most that showed the type of work that I liked the most. Yeah. That's a pretty good uh, <laughs> way to judge it. You're right. like, all the artists that I like are showing there. Right. Um, so I definitely would go for those first. Um, how you approach it, that's difficult. You know, some people can get really aggressive. And you could turn a gallery off from ever wanting to work with you. Even if you're not ready yet and you could be there, they can see the potential in your work, but you're a dick <laughs> when oh, yeah. you approach them. Yeah. Uh, you, you've probably burned that bridge forever. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really so, important to, to realize that uh, if you're just like generally kind to people and understanding and communicative, then that'll take you... I mean, I wouldn't say as far as your work, but it, it helps like quite a bit. Yeah. It's, it's good to introduce yourself to galleries, send them a DM, Mm -hmm. ask if there's ever an opportunity for you to be in a group show or something. They might say, 
nothing. They might not respond at all. Yeah. Maybe they'll follow you back. They'll usually click on your work and just see if it's, if you're worth watching. Yeah. Um, they, uh, you just never know. Right. Just don't, don't have expectations. Just be nice. Send a nice little note. Say that you liked their gallery for God knows how long and <laughs> would love the opportunity, but don't be aggressive about it. Like, yeah, yeah. D- don't, uh, don't send them message after message if you don't get a response. No, no, no definitely don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but these are uh, hopefully. Especially get snotty when they don't respond and you're just yeah. like. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. These are basic <laughs> etiquette things, but I feel like sometimes artists might get wrapped up in their own head and feel like, oh, I've, I've earned this. Come on. Why don't they see it? But, you know. There's I, a fake it till you make it aspect that a lot of people adopt. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think Instagram kind of promotes that a lot. Like mm-hmm. some of the, the social media culture um, is like, there's that feeling that you've got to put it out there like you're successful, that you have to look like you're successful. Um, that only gets you this so far. Right, <laughs> like, right. It still comes down to the work. It doesn't matter how much you, how good you are at the hustle if your work is not up to par. Right. Uh, yeah. And then there's the other side of that too, where you don't want to, like, if you're not, if you're not quite making the living off of art that you wanted to, you don't want to be out there just like complaining into the void. Like, you know, like, why, why isn't anybody buying my stuff? You know, this is not how you want to get a sale. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I've done it. I think everybody's done it I've at been some there, point yeah. where yeah. you're just so frustrated. You're like, what am I doing wrong? Yeah, yeah. Um, and they're like, well, this, <laughs> this for one is the wrong approach. Yeah, yeah. they start <laughs> and giving a you a laundry list. Anything wrong, you just haven't hit the spot yet. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Maybe you never will. You're constantly having to look at your motivation for your work. Mm-hmm. You know, like, are you actually expressing something? Is this just like this pipe dream that you want to be an artist? Because because so many kids are just looking for their path to fame. What's my mm-hmm. path to fame? Uh, you know, uh, we ha- we grew up in the age of um, American Idol and reality TV and all these things where people become famous for very average <laughs> skills yeah. or, you know, um, yeah, it's yeah. just tough. Yeah. I want everybody to be able to succeed and I want everybody to like be happy and find their thing. But mm-hmm. I just want everybody to be like self-aware and just know, yeah. know themselves and be happy with it. I think. Yeah. Find happiness in whatever you can like, Oh yeah. Um, well, yeah, um, you're said than done. I was in advertising for 20 years and I was unhappy, but, <laughs> but, uh, but no, you're, you're imparting like your experience to people so that hopefully they don't have to go down the same or make the same mistakes. That's kind of how I feel about this podcast. I started it because like, like I said, you know, I was two years into actually painting period and I was like quitting my job. Let's go. And like, 
you know, I keep telling this story over, you know, every five podcasts or so, just so that like people who consistently listen will at some point hear it and they're like, okay, like stay stable. Yeah, I, ne- I never suggest telling people to quit their jobs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I never say quit your job. Yeah. Uh, I always say I worked a full-time job for 10 years on yeah. the side of my <laughs> art career. Well, and so did like uh, Christian Van Minen and, uh, and a lot, a lot of amazing artists. I know, you know, Jeff Soto is a teacher at university and yeah. like there's all these people that um, are very respectable artists that have had to, um, you do what you have to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one thing to add to that is that like, if you're stressed about money and you have to make the sale with the art, it will, it will push you into a zone of like impatience. I know from experience. And so then the work suffers and then you never actually build up enough to kind of like pop into that new level, I guess. Desperation does not breed good things. You know, I've been there many times where I was like on the verge of having no funds to pay rent or whatever. And you're just hustling and you're trying to sell every last print and every old piece you can find at a discount. And it just, it doesn't set a good precedent for anything else in the future. Yeah. There's, there's nothing good that comes out of that uh, other than hopefully some self-awareness. Yeah. Yeah. Well, (laughs) sweet. I, man, I, so we did like a full circle, maybe a couple times there. Um, (laughs) I'm really good at going off on random tangents. So yeah, it's beautiful. Well, Anthony, thank you so much. We're at about an hour and 40 minutes here. Um, (laughs) Is there a, do you have, you've dropped so much wisdom in, in this session, but is there anything else, any advice uh, to, to young artists that you haven't touched on that, that you'd like to say now? No, I don't think so. Not that I haven't touched on. I mean, I think we've talked about every little (laughs) facet of it at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that we were really thorough and, and (laughs) and thanks so much, uh, again for, for taking time to talk with me. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And thanks everybody for listening. We'll see you next time. Awesome. Thank you again for listening to another episode of RTAF Podcast. If you are interested in supporting the Patreon, that address is patreon.com slash RTAF Podcast. And I want to thank all my patrons. You guys keep this engine running. I couldn't do it without you. Go over there and check out the tiers I have available. It includes video, uh, guest suggestions, uh, patron-only posts, and some merchandise. Thank you again for listening. Please rate, review, subscribe. Do all those little things that help get RTAF into the consciousness of more and more people. Shout out.